Hello and welcome to the Superposition Guys podcast. My name is Yuval, and my guests today are Sean Sullivan and Manish Singh, co-founders of MemQ. We discuss their company's goal of developing a platform that is native to silicon for rare-earth ion-based qubits with a focus on quantum communications, the need for quantum repeaters to extend quantum information transmission distances, the potential use cases for MemQ's technology, compatibility with existing telecom infrastructure, scalability challenges, and much more. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello, Sean. Hello, Manish. Thank you for joining me today. Hi there. Good to be here. Yeah, th- thank you. I'm very happy to be here with you. So who are you and what do you do? <laughs> so uh, Sean and I, we started MemQ um, and we are currently the, uh, I'm the CEO of MemQ, Sean is, uh, Sean is the CTO of the company. Um, and what we are trying to do is uh, develop this scalable platform that is truly native to silicon for um, red earth iron based qubits. Um, and the first application seems to be in communication. And what would the product do? So it's a, set of products that we um, that come together to give us this on-chip quantum repeater. So we need emitters. We need uh, entangled uh, photon generators. We need quantum memory. And these are the key components that that will come together to build this, get this quantum repeater, really. Why does one need a quantum repeater? That's an excellent question. Yeah, so... Uh, basically, uh, to send quantum information over long distances, um, you know, the, the, the way that people are thinking about it, uh, is to use photons, uh, to send, uh, to send individual flying qubits through, through optical fibers, for example. And, uh, through an optical fiber that over a certain distance, photons just naturally get absorbed, um, by the material. So just like losses of the fiber. So. There is, uh, in a classical telecommunications network, uh, classical repeater uh, stations, which basically can amplify or boost, you know, the the optical signals of normal telecom lasers. Um, but because of the the no cloning theorem in in quantum physics, you can't just boost a a quantum signal. So so we need to come up with a a quantum version of a similar repeater to sort of. In, uh, enhance the the length over which you can distribute quantum information. How long is that length? So if I have a, a station in Los Angeles that wants to communicate with a station in Boston, how many quantum repeaters do you think that it will have to go through? So yeah, if you if you just if you decide to uh, send it over an optical fiber link instead of like through some uh, satellite-based communication network, which people are are also working on. Um, uh, let we can use like quantum key distribution for as an example, right? The sort of uh, current state of the art is a, a few hundred kilometers uh, over which you can send, um, uh, you know, key distribution uh, at at a decent rate. Um, before your your rates really start to to drop off, this is using things like twin field QKD. Um, so if you if you're sending something over you know 
four or five thousand kilometers, and then you, you probably want some base station or repeater every every you know hundred or couple hundred kilometers or so in in an ideal case. So the you know, tens or, or dozens of, of repeaters in that particular link. Yeah. Right. The, the exact answer becomes like, um, it becomes a function of how good is your repeater. Yeah. So your repeater is fantastic. You can have a lot of them there and uh, minimize your losses. If it's uh, not that, uh, if it's, it's if good enough, then probably something um, around 20 repeaters there. Would it work on existing telecom fibers or do you need a completely different uh, fiber uh, layout. The way we are developing um, our technology, it will be fully compatible with the infrastructure that already exists, and that's the one of the major advantages of the um, uh, approach that we have taken. So, in our case, I mentioned earlier that we are uh, building a platform that uses rare earth ions as as the qubits. The rare earth ion that MemQ uses is it's called erbium. And uh, that happens to be at the heart of our telecommunication today. So the wavelength is directly compatible to what's called the telecom C-band. Why do you need a quantum memory in that configuration? Uh, yes. Uh, so the, um, the the pathway that Sean described earlier, right? So where you send, you're sending uh, from location A to location B, and A and B cannot be uh, too far apart because there's this natural decay, you lose that information. So say like at the distance between um, LA and Boston, let's say we divide it so that we put Chicago in between just as a, as a, as a fun experiment. Um, so LA to Chicago, you, you establish a connection. At the same time, you're trying to establish a connection between Chicago and Boston. Now, the thing is that the connection establishment sending of these photon loss is in, inherently probabilistic. So you don't want to uh, do two probabilistic things at the same time and get what's P square, right? You know, P into P. What you want is you want to be able to establish a connection, hold that connection, and establish this while the second connection gets established. And this holding of that connection, that needs quantum memory. Because quantum memory refers to this uh, ability to store quantum information. It sounds like the LA to Boston example would require dozens of repeaters, as you say. So you must be thinking about an easier use case before a major telecom deploys your repeaters sort of network-wide. So what do you think would be the initial types of customers that would use your product? So, so I think, yeah, that's definitely, uh, instead of thinking about uh, wide range distribution, you, you typically think about even classical telecom networks as, as having local networks before going to the wide area uh, networks. So uh, one area that I think is particularly interesting is even at the level of, let's say, like a single data center where you have uh, multiple quantum components, uh, QPUs operating relatively close in close proximity to one another um, as well as you know classical uh, computer uh, computing hardware uh, so doing sort of local area network uh, connections over 
sort of maybe let's say hundreds of meters um, between devices. Uh, that's you know I think an, a very key uh, initial milestone. Um, the other piece there is even over over local like shorter distances, uh, there is you know a, a need to be able to send data in a secure fashion between uh, two two places. Um, so let's say you can encode the data um, using using quantum physics as a, a means to, uh, to to send the data in an unhackable or at least uh, you know a way that could be detected if, if someone is eavesdropping um, just using the statistics of, of uh, quantum entanglement. Do you envision the product to be a chip that would be integrated into someone else's device, or is it a standalone box that would uh, connect the endpoints? So, yeah, in its first iteration, um, the way we are developing our technology, um, so it works directly with the current silicon uh, photonics platform. So uh, you would have a photonics integrated circuit that could sit inside a set inside a cryostat or a cryostat-like box, and it could provide uh, those capabilities at that point of uh, point of use. In a subsequent iteration, we see this uh, becoming a self-sufficient plug-and-play plug kind of option where you can uh, you know, insert uh, standard optical elements in there and process up, you know, interface with it via software and get the desired outputs uh, via, the, via the ports. Do you see that as an interconnect mechanism between as people try to scale up? I mean, some vendors say, oh, we're going to have a 500 qubit chip, but if we need to scale to 5,000, then we're going to need 10 of those and somehow interconnect them. Or is that solving, uh, is, is that using a, a you know big solution to solve a smaller problem? Oh, so um, if I understand the question correctly, it's like, the way we are approaching it is it something something like that will we have an interconnect like problem is okay um so the way we are approaching it uh we are using these uh, nanophotonic devices to create this photon and atom interface and the individual footprint of these devices it's it's very small it's less than uh, 10 micron square right so in principle you could put tens of thousands of these devices on a single chip now the photonic photonic activity is what's actually doing the computation. Uh, so the qubits they serve as sources. The qubits they serve as memory. The actual compute is happening via these photonic uh, the the photons themselves. So that way we see the uh, platform itself as inherently uh, inherently scalable in the sense that you can bring more and more qubits onto the same wafer. And the fact that we work with the standard uh, silicon on insulator wafers um, uh, helps helps uh, with, with that point. But that said, uh, because what we are trying to make, it's a network product. So connecting many of those isn't going to be a problem. Like if, if we can't connect multiple of our products, then we can't really like make a network, you know, a network of quantum repeaters. So that's that's kind of the advantage that this particular platform brings for us. Tell me a little bit about the company. Uh, when did you get started? How large is the company? Uh, where is it located? How is it funded? Anything you're, uh, you can share? 
Yeah, no, I would love to tell you about that. Um, right now, uh, we are at uh, 10 people. Um, and that includes uh, uh, six, six of our members are uh, uh, full-time members. They're PhDs from some of these uh, top universities in the nation. They bring in cross-cutting capabilities in nanophotonics, in um, uh, you know, uh, uh, atom light interface, in uh, quantum dots, and red earth ions. Now that team, uh, it it it's uh, located here in Chicago, um, and the reason we are in Chicago is because of this very vibrant system um, that uh, University of Chicago, uh, Chicago Quantum Exchange, the UIUC, like all these uh, major research organizations, Argonne National Lab, they have been able to build uh, build out here. Here, our company uh, it started as a spin out from University of Chicago and Argonne National Lab. That's where some of the work that Sean and I did uh, kind of led us towards that. Uh, right now, uh, we are funded through DOE via a program called Chain Reaction Innovation. That allows us to uh, leverage some of the DOE capabilities in order to perform some of the work that MEMG is doing. We have also uh, closed our seed round. Uh, that happened earlier this year, and we were able to bring in uh, about $2.5 in uh, VC money to help support that uh, effort towards prototype development. And uh, we hope to continue uh, uh, building and continue expanding in Chicago. Where are the chips manufactured? Um, uh, right now, uh, as we continue the development, um, we make these chips in-house, as in the uh, clean room at Argonne is where the prototype development is taking place. At the same time, we are exploring runs at two of the leading foundries in, in the US, two of the leading photonic foundries. And uh, we, we expect our first tape out to happen before the end of the year. Are there export restrictions in these kind of components? That's a very interesting question uh, in the sense that we do anticipate something like that happening, but we're not aware of it. But uh, regardless, like we are uh, being very careful because we do work with the National Labs quite a lot. We do work, uh, interface with uh, some of these other uh, areas that are more sensitive to things like that. As uh, co-founders, uh, what keeps you up at night professionally? Um, maybe first Sean and then Manish. Sure. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, I think we're because we're here in a um, uh, a natural lab facility, we're using um, uh, shared tools, things like that. You know, there there are certain things that are like uh, out of out of your control in terms of uh, of having ownership over the entire process. Um, that's I would say a minor concern, though, uh, generally. Um, but, but yeah, I think, I think kind of to like your, your, uh, your point a little bit about, the the export controls and things like, um, you know, I think that's, that's an area that's getting a little, uh, uh, fraught right now, this, uh, trying to understand how the, the, this, all of this quantum technology is, is evolving in the, in the greater global, uh, environment, I think is, is a really interesting and uh, yeah, uh, really interesting area. Let's see. 
Ano ang manish? My fears are a, uh, a little more uh, tangible in that sense. Uh, I primarily like it's it's a, it's about our capability to find that product market fit really like so if uh, basically the ability to under, uh, leverage that first use case uh, bring um, uh, develop develop customers in that area see widespread adoption of the technology that's that's what we uh, worry about a lot. And hypothetically, if you were able to have dinner with one of the quantum greats, dead or alive, who would? those people be? Well, I, I would say Bohr. Uh, I think, you know, being right there at the, the sort of father of quantum mechanics, um, I think that's a very easy answer for me. Um, also, having just seen the movie uh, Oppenheimer, I thought that was very cool to see all of the, uh, the physicists that they portray, you know, portrayed in, in that movie sort of rate, uh, yeah reinvigorated that, that desire to, to try to meet Bohr. It's, yeah, that would be really cool. <laughs> for me, that would be uh, for me. Um, uh, for me, because, uh, you know, like by that, till, till the time that uh, controlled uh, fission experiment was done right here at the University of Chicago grounds, right? It was an entirely theoretical concept. We're kind of at a similar position with with quantum, right? Uh, uh, in 1942, when they did that splitting of the atom, um, in the sense that everything is kind of sort of proof of concept, everything is there till that large scale entanglement distribution is actually there. We are not really there. And until that's there, we don't know what we can harness that capability for. Is it going to be um, something as useful as, uh, say, uh, power plants is going to be as useful as say um, a radiation therapy. Um, so that's that that would be fascinating. And to like get his perspective on seeing you know his tech evolve over the last over twenty years till by the time of his uh, passing, uh, it would be a fantastic conversation. Wonderful, uh, Sean Manish. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, pleasure you, to meet you all.